Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sabbath School Gems. This is Lesson 10 for the third quarter for 2022, and it's titled Meekness in the Crucible, and it's from the quarterly In the Crucible with Christ for Sabbath, September 3. Now, we've got a lot to get into for this lesson. What I'd like to do is make sure that we have a good understanding of meekness and what meekness really is. And I think the lesson study author fell a little bit short of that. And there's a lot more examples. There's a lot more gems in the Bible that have to deal with this. So I want to bring those out. So let's just start with what is meekness. The the, the dictionary definition of it is an adjective that says showing patience and humility. The second meaning is easily imposed on or submissive. And I think we tend to take that as our meaning, easily imposed on, submissive, just kind of this passive, weak. I think the Bible's definition is a little bit different, and we'll see that. Now, that word in the Bible, the Strong's number is H6035, and it's called anav, and it means meek, but sometimes it's translated as humble. The Strong says that it comes from two other words. That's H6031, which is a nav, which is very similar, and that's submit. And that's the word that's used, for example, when the angel of the Lord appears to Haggai, when she exerts herself over Sarah and she gets kicked out, and, and then she's there, and the Lord appears to her and tells her to return to Sarah and to submit. And there's that word submit, that's a nav. But then Strong says that there's another word that, that's similar, and that's ani, and that's H6041, and that's poor. So that, for example, you would leave your gleanings to the poor and the stranger, or the poor and the needy. And so it's this combination of this worship element, this submission, and a positional element, the poor being you know, somewhat this lower ranking, I guess. So we see this combination of worship and submitting, submitting yourself, and this positional element. Even Haggai, you know, she was trying to exert herself in a higher position. When she had Ishmael, she said, oh, now, you know, I'm like Sarah. I'm, maybe I'm better than Sarah because I have a child now. And, you know, she tried to exert that higher position, and that was not right. And... She, that's why she got kicked out. So the remedy to that was for her to submit, and that's what the Lord told her to do. So we see that meekness has something to do with this positional element and something to do with worship. Now, we have a really good example of that in the Bible. Moses was described as a man that was very meek, and that's that word, anav, and that's in Numbers twelve three. Says now the man Moses was very meek. Sometimes in some translations it's translated as humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. And we think, okay, well Moses would be the one that we would look to then if we want to understand meekness. And when we look at the rest of that, what was happening there, the context, and also the comparison and contrast with what was going on at that time, I think it'll be clearer. So. In Numbers 12, just starting at verse 1, we'll see the controversy there. It was with Miriam and Aaron. It says that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian. So they, they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. 
And then it says, Now the man, Moses, was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord myself, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. But not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And we know the story. Miriam gets leprosy. And then Aaron goes to Moses and says, hey, you know, help, you know, help. And he calls out to, to Moses, actually. So we'll see in this story, it's very curious. Miriam and Aaron are speaking against Moses. And they took this opportunity, seeing who he had married. They kind of took that as an opportunity. But the real controversy is not about who he married. The real controversy is that they want to be just as high a position as he is. They're, they're saying, the Lord's speaking through him, but aren't we prophets too? He's speaking through us. And, you know, Moses gets this a lot. He gets this throughout the, the travels in the wilderness, that the children of Israel are constantly, you know, what makes you so great, Moses? Well, what, who told you? Who made you in this position? And each time that happens, Moses goes to God. He goes to the Lord and says, okay, it's like, it's like he was put in a position that he doesn't even want the position or he, he wants the position only because God put him in it. And he's, he always goes to the Lord and says, you know, what is it? Okay, you make yourself known. I don't want this role unless it's from you. And we see this time and again. I mean, we see it even with the Kohathites and, and Dathan and Abiram and all that, that uprising with the 200 princes. They were, it was the same thing. They were, they were saying, why is God only speaking through Moses? What about us? You know, we're Levites. We're, you know, he's speaking through all the congregation. And they were challenging him. And every time he's, okay, let's go. Let's find out from God. You know, let's see who he assigns. And so that's what was happening here, except Moses didn't know because they were talking behind his back. But the Lord heard it. And he said, okay, I'll make known. He says, look, Moses is really special. I speak to him face to face. I don't even come in visions like other prophets. And you, you, Miriam and Aaron, you think you're like Moses? You're not, okay? And he's pretty much puts them in their place. And Miriam gets leprosy, which now he, she's unclean. And she's people have to call it unclean. She's got to be separated from the camp. So that was really a demotion right there. And it shows this is what was happening. So this is the opposite of meekness is what Miriam and Aaron were doing. They were trying to get a position that was higher than what they thought they should have. And they were doing it at Moses's expense. In this case, they were pointing to Moses and, and really coveting his position and wanting to get high, that higher position. You know, we see that same thing with, with Eve and with, you know, wanting to have more, you know, ultimately that's from Satan. Satan wants that higher position. So this is the opposite of meekness. In that context, we can maybe see what, what meekness is. This is not meekness. Meekness is accepting the role that God has for us. And it may be even lowering that role, as we'll see later. There's another example in 
the Bible that I think is really good to point out, and that's in Zephaniah. Zephaniah has a description. Zephaniah 2, verse 3 says, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. And that word is meekness. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And again here, it's good to look at the context. So going on a little bit in Zephaniah, the verse 8, it says, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Here we see the same type of thing. They're making arrogant threats. These people, the Ammonites and the Moabites, were challenging. They were challenging the Lord's people, and ultimately they were challenging the Lord and making arrogant threats against them and trying to take over their borders. So going on in, in verse 9 to 9, it says, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. And that's Elohim, all the Elohim of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed all the shores of the nations. So now we see this people, the Ammonites and the Moabites, wanting to be above the people of Israel. You know, if they just wanted to accept their position or their lot or their territory, but they didn't. They wanted more. They were putting arrogant threats against them. And so God put them low and he reduced them to nothing, reduced their gods, reduced the highest of them, their gods and with their worshiping to the lowest level. So, and then just a little further on, it says, this is a rejoicing city that dwelt securely that said in her heart, I am it. And there is none beside me. See, they were saying none, there's nothing besides me. They were really being proud and haughty. And it says, and how she has become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. So we can see meekness is contrasted with this pride and this arrogance and this desire for a higher position. And that's ultimately a characteristic of Satan. So this meekness we'll see is a characteristic of God. And now we can see with the Beatitudes that the lesson study points out, I'm not going in the order of the lesson study, but I will bring out all the different aspects of the lesson study. We'll start with the Beatitudes. Now in Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you know, I'm not reading that whole passage. You can go, it's, I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful passage. We are familiar with that. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But do we really know what that meek is? We know that the meek shall inherit the earth. We'll see that these things are all special characteristics that God is rewarding, the poor in spirit. They've had to suffer, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're going to get the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn, they shall be comforted, and the meek shall inherit the earth. And so this is just a list of all these characteristics of what God values and characteristics of God himself. And we'll, we'll see that a little later. 
But I think this quotation, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, I really think that comes from Psalms. Psalms 37 says the same thing. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So I think that's just quoting back from, from Psalm. And Psalm 37, see again, it says, Indeed, you will look for them. The wicked will be no more. You will look carefully for his place. It's, it's no more. And, and there we see this position again, the position of the wicked. The wicked is maybe this elevated position, but it, you're going to look for it and you're going to say, where were they? They were up there. And they're not going to be there anymore because the meek are going to inherit the earth. And you know, that same psalm, if we just go back to the beginning of it, because it is a beautiful psalm as well, starting in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. In other words, don't be envious of these wicked in their high positions. They're, they're gonna, they're, they don't deserve those positions. And then it describes, so we see that's the hierarchy, but then we see a description in verse, Psalms 37, starting in verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. See, the meek shall inherit the earth. And this is the meek. It describes what it is. It's those who trust in the Lord, who delight yourself in the Lord, who commit your way to the Lord, who wait patiently and rest in the Lord, and who don't fret. You don't fret because it doesn't do any good. If you are angry at the wicked, it's, it's not going to help anything because in the end, they're just going to be cut down. So why are you wasting your energies by worrying about these evildoers? They're, they're just, their time is short. And I think that's the message here. Our desire should be for the Lord. This whole idea of those who want to be first will be last. I mean, we know that story about Mordecai, you know, how Haman wanted to be exalted and honored at, at his expense. And, you know, what happens? Well, the, the gallows that he built for Mordecai, he ended up being hung in those. And, and Mordecai got all the glory. Mordecai got the honor and, and the distinction. So Matthew says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And that is really what being shown here, that God's kingdom works differently than what we think and what we see. And we see these wicked seem like they're prospering, but to be meek is to, is to not, not desire those high positions, to just be waiting, be patient, fearing God, trusting in him, that is meekness. It's less of a passive thing. I see it more active. Trust in the Lord, delight yourself, commit your way to the Lord. It's really a submission to God. That's what meekness is, more than just a, a, a submitting to evil. It's a submitting to God and, and not letting the position of others and the, and the evildoers around us influence us. 
you know, speaking of meekness versus weakness, I think the lesson study asked that question. Meekness is not weakness, and it's a characteristic of God, and it's actually strength. And we see that the word meek is anav, and so meekness is anava. That's Hebrew word 6038. And that word is not that frequent in the Bible, but there's a passage in 2 Samuel 22, starting verse 33, that says, God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. And then a few verses later it says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness, which is meekness, is that word meekness, anava, has made me great. I think this is such an important text right here because it's really showing that, that this characteristics your meekness has made me great. What, what is going on here? God is my strength and power. He makes my way perfect. And you have given me the shield of your salvation. Your meekness has made me great. And I think this is really showing us that, God, that this is a characteristic of God, the strength and power that God has to make us, to lift us up, is his meekness. So this is Christ, I believe, because it says, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Where does the salvation come from? It comes from Christ, that sin-bearing servant. By your meekness has made me great. So this is a really good key to understanding how this meekness is a characteristic of God. It's a characteristic of Christ. It's necessary for our salvation. So it's not a weakness but it's really a role that God would take. To f- we think of rulers and, and rulers that are evil rulers or bad rulers. They suppress people so that they can be made higher. And we see that God doesn't rule that way. His kingdom is different. His role, Christ's role, is different. They prop the lowly up by lowering their positions to prop the lowly up. They give their subjects what they need and help them and be a leader servant, not the opposite. The bad ruler will just suppress the people. The good ruler lifts his people up. And so this is what we're seeing is a characteristic of God and of Christ. We see this in normal discourse of of life, you know, where I work. The best managers and the best leaders are those who are making sure that the, there are people that are under them have everything they need to do their job. And it's kind of a thankless job because they're not actually doing the work. They're just making sure that everyone else has what they need to do the work. In other words, they're giving them the power. They're giving them the ability to do what they need to do. And it's, it's an important role, but it's like a leader-servant role. You're there, you know, you're the manager, but you're like in a way serving them because you're giving your people that you're managing what they need. And so we see this as as a characteristic of God and a characteristic of a loving ruler. Now I want to just touch on some of the things that the lesson study brings out. Just kind of comment on on some of those. One of the stories that are brought out is the golden calf incident and we're all familiar with this. They're sacrificing the golden calf Moses is on the mount. He doesn't know what's going on at this point. But God knows what's going on, and God gets angry and says, okay, I'm just going to 
I'm going to obliterate these people. And Moses, not knowing even what they're doing, he intervenes and he says, wait, no, don't. He pleads with the Lord. So let's read that in Exodus 32, 11. It says, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. Now, this is often thought of that Moses, is he's, he loves the people so much, he's intervening for them and kind of being this martyr that, that he's not taking this position that, that God was going to give him. He said, you know, I'm going to wipe them out and make you a great nation, Moses. And Moses is like, no, I'm just going to, I'm going to, no, you know, plead for the people. And that's how it's often interpreted. But if we really read the text, if we really look at it, yeah, Moses wasn't concerned about himself. He, di- he didn't say, okay, yeah, wipe them out, God. But, you know, he didn't even know what exactly what they did. So he couldn't really be pleading for them. In fact, when he got down, he was just as angry as the Lord was when he saw what was going on. I mean, he was even forewarned. But he wasn't so much pleading for them because he didn't even know what they did. It's true that he didn't want the honor for himself. He didn't say, okay, yeah, make me a great nation, God. But the main point of the story, the main thing that is often overlooked is that Moses was was solely fixated on God and his reputation and being a good representative to other people, to all the nations. He said, why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains? In other words, he's saying, God, don't do that to your people because you're going to look bad. And then he's saying, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servant to whom you swore. Not because they deserve it, but he's saying, God, remember your promise. You're going to look bad. You're going to look like you don't fulfill your promise. You're going to look bad to the Egyptians. They're going to say, oh, we just brought him out there to kill him. And so Moses was so fixated on God's reputation and upholding God. Moses loved God and he loved him so much. And he, in that instance, I believe he was just hyper-focused on that, on God, no, don't wipe these people out because it's going to make you look bad. It's going to be a bad witness to others. And, and I'm sure that's what God was, God knew that too, but he wanted to hear it from Moses. And that's often lost in that. They think Moses is just intervening for these people because he loves the people so much. Well, you know, yeah, he's, he is intervening, and he did intervene in, in other circumstances where he had to go and confess and plead for atonement for the people. But it's always for God. It's for God's reputation and for God to have a people, for God's covenant, for the preservation of God's covenant. It was all about God. So Moses was putting God at this higher level, and I think that's why he is attributed as, as the meek, the meek one, because he was always putting God first. And I think that that is the important aspect of that story. Now, the lesson, one of the, the days is mentioned to love those who hurt us. And it quotes uh, in Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. 
You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, this is showing a characteristic of loving your enemies and blessing those who curse you and doing good to those who hate you. And it's an interesting aspect. I don't know if it's meekness. I guess you could call it meekness. But if we're talking about meekness in this role, I think it's a little bit more than that. It's it's not letting other actions affect ours, first of all. If they're enemies, if they hate us, it doesn't matter. You don't hate them back. We ha- are to be perfect regardless of the actions of others. That's a word. We're to, to be like our Father in heaven. So that should be our motivation. We shouldn't be motivated because this person is good to us and this person isn't. So it says he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And I think this is an important part of this meekness lesson because it's showing that we have to have patience because justice will happen in the end. Vengeance is for God, but you know these wicked, their time is limited. So let's have mercy on them or sympathy for them because they're going astray. And so I think this text is really, it's showing that we shouldn't take justice into our own hands and also that we shouldn't be bothered by these wicked because their time is limited you know going back to psalm 37 that we read for yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more indeed you will look carefully for his place but it shall be no more but the meek shall inherit the earth so in other words we don't have to worry we don't have to fight back and make sure that all the positions are right in this lifetime because they're not going to be right And it's okay, because God's going to make it okay in the end. So this should be a real relief of a burden for us that we don't have to worry about this and and try to make everything right here, because it's not going to be. It's going to be the wicked are going to persecute the good, and they are going to be propped up for a while, but we know in the end that justice is going to be served. And the meek will inherit the earth, those who are not seeking for this high position. Okay, so... The other lesson was on a closed mouth. This is based on that text in Matthew. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I think they're saying that that gentle and lowly in heart is this meekness. And then it it goes into 1 Peter, and we see this passage about submitting yourselves to the ordinances of man and to kings and governors, and I could just read it. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That, those are characteristics of meek. Remember, trust in God, serve him. This is it, honor. Honor and love and fear God and 
It says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now here we see being submissive even to those who are harsh. You know, don't be submissive to the masters, you know, your good masters only, but to those that are harsh. Why would we do that? Because here again, the meekness is our submission, our our role involvement. And if the role is wrong, let's say these leaders are just corrupt as everything, we still fulfill our role. We don't let them and their corruption of their role affect us and our corruption of our role. In other words, we need to be the faithful servants. We need to be focused on our role and doing our role right, regardless of whether other people are doing their role wrong. And that's because it's not about fairness in this stage, in this stage of our existence. It's about the roles. And it's more important for us to be faithful for that role because Christ is really our role model. And he's that leader-servant role model. So we're to be accepting of our role. And, and that would be the case if you were being servant even to someone who's harsh and being cruel, and you're still serving them with, with obedience because in the end, this will all be worked out, but we still see the same concept of, of not putting yourself out of your position. Just because your boss is being bad doesn't mean you all of a sudden can assume their role. So how we act within our role is more important than the role. In other words, if you're a body and you're an eye or a toe or whatever it is that you are, you might say, oh, well, I'm not as important as such and such. But if you're not doing your role, even if it's a small, tiny task, I mean, if it's just the mitochondria within the cell is not doing its role, then it could cause the whole body to come down. And, and a lot of times, if something is malfunctioning in the body, other things can take over for it. What would be more important if the, the eye is failing for the hearing to be better, right? Not for the hearing to say, oh, well, maybe I could be an eye. So I think this is what this is saying, essentially, is that, you know, we are to do the role that we are to, to be in and do it well, because the roles and the levels and the hierarchies or whatever we want to call it on this earth are not what they're going to be in heaven. And so we don't have to concern ourselves with that. What we have to concern ourselves with is, is submitting to God and taking that role. We are his creatures and he is God. And that is the most important thing. And that is meekness. Meekness is putting God first. Now, the lesson study also brings out Psalm 62. And I'll just read that. It says, To the chief musician, to Jeduthun, a psalm of David, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. There's that word again, silently waits. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not I shall not be greatly moved. 
How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. There it is. Cast down with his high position. This is what the weak, wicked do. The wicked try to cast others down so they can be higher. But, it, but here's what the meek do. But my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And there it is. Trust in him at all times. Remember Psalm 37? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his fullness. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord. I mean, this Psalm 37 is now just repeated in Psalm 62. It's the same concept. That is meekness. That is a definition. If you want the definition of meekness, just go to Psalm 37. I think that defines it. And I think Psalm 62 is just reiterating that. Now, I just want to briefly touch on Ezekiel because I think even though Ezekiel was the first example that was given in the lesson study, I think it's the, the least helpful for us when we were understanding meekness. And I'm a little concerned this is the second time that this lesson study author has, has pointed to a prophet and exalted the prophet instead of the message. And I think these prophets were prophesying messages from God. And it's so important to look at the messages and not the messenger. So this, this I'll, I'll explain what I mean. But in Ezekiel 24, starting verse 15, it says, Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. So God is telling Ezekiel, I'm gonna, your wife is going to die, <laughs> basically. Your wife's going to die. It's going to be quick. And she's just going to die. And it says, Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. You should sigh in silence. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So in other words, your wife's going to die and you're going to act like she didn't die. You're going to just go on business as usual. Now in their culture, especially when someone dies, there's a whole rigmarole of everything that's done. And in this case, the Lord is telling Ezekiel, she's going to die but you're going to act like she didn't die. And then Ezekiel is supposed to tell the people. He, so, so I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening, my wife died. And the next morning, I did as I've commanded. And the people said to me, they noticed. They noticed. They're like, what is he doing? He, his wife just died, and he's just acting like nothing happened. It says, will you not tell us what these things signify to us, that you behave so? They came to him to ask a question. God wanted them to be hungry and to, to have something so bizarre that they would be asking the question. So now that people are hungry, they're like, something's up with Ezekiel. What is going on? And they want to know. And then Ezekiel can tell them. And he says, then I answered them. The word of the Lord came to me saying, speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will profane my sanctuary and your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turban shall be on your head and your sandals on your feet. You shall not mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. 
Thus, Ezekiel is a sign to you according to all that he has done. You shall do, and when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy, and their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters? On that day, one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears. On that day, your mouth will be open to him who has escaped. You shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus, you will be assigned to them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So what is really going on here? Now, the lesson study will focus on Ezekiel and say, well, see, he lost his wife. He's suffering a lot. We have to be like him, and we have to be meek and suffering. And, but that's not the message. The message was actually that Ezekiel wasn't to mourn. And he, you know, he was told ahead of time that his wife is going to die. I mean... Ezekiel is not suffering more because he's being told his wife's going to die and that he's not going to have to to shed a tear. Um, he's actually being helped by it, I think, in that circumstance. I mean, you could disagree or agree with that, but the, the real message is what God is telling the people. Hey, you're not going to have your tabernacle and all this, all this that you want, that you desire. In fact, your sons and your daughters are, are going to, be taken in captivity and and will perish and and it's saying that you're not to mourn. Why? Why is it doing that? Because these people were not following God. And what God is saying is, okay, you're gonna go into captivity. It's actually for their good. I mean, God's not saying that here, but really it's for their good. They're not to mourn because they brought it on themselves and there's no one to cry out to. Because this is what God wants. And, you know, that's, that's the thing is that when God tells us something and he bears with us and he's born with these people and given them all kinds of chances and now he's bringing them into captivity to preserve them, actually. The captivity was not just, it's not a punishment for them. It's actually to preserve them. It's actually for their good. And so what he's doing is he's making, Ezekiel is an example. He's losing his wife. He's losing the special thing. And he's saying to the people, look, you're going to lose what you value as special. You're going to lose all of this. And you're going to go into captivity. But don't, don't shed a tear because this is from me. The only example I could glean out of this for meekness is that it's kind of a forced meekness because what it is, it says multiple times that they shall know that I am the Lord God. And so in other words, they're all haughty and they have their tabernacle and all the things that they love and they've got their sons and daughters and everything in their future ahead of them. And that's all gonna be come to an end. But what they are gonna acknowledge is, whoa, this is from God. He wants to talk to us. He, we, we haven't been pleasing him and he is God and he knows what he's doing. And he's not just the silent thing that we can just do whatever we want. And so in the end, they're going to know that the Lord is God. And so in that sense, that's the, that's kind of meekness, but I wouldn't say it's necessarily their meekness, but they're almost brought to that position where they are going to acknowledge God. It says, thus Ezekiel is assigned to you according to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, when all this comes to pass, you shall know that I am the Lord God. In other words, I said it and it happened and you're going to see it happen and you're going to acknowledge that it was me. 
And then verse 27, on the day that your mouth will be open to him who has escaped, you shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you shall be assigned to them and they shall know that I am the Lord. That's the message. And the message is, is through Ezekiel. And yeah, these prophets like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all these, these prophets did suffer. I'm not denying that they didn't have that, but, but our focus shouldn't be on the prophets. And it, it's not very helpful to look at a prophet and see, oh, how he suffered. Oh, I don't want to be like him. I mean, what we should be doing is be looking at the message. These prophets were bringing messages from God, and God wants us all to be prophets. Not so we could all suffer and, you know, that's not the life of a prophet is actually, I think there was a lot of blessing in their life. They had messages right from God. They were in close communion with God, getting message from him. And I think strengthened by him. God was constantly strengthening these prophets. He knew he was asking them to do extraordinary things and he was giving them the strength. He's the one that gave Elijah the the strength to go through. He gave him that food that lasted him for 40 more days and in his discouragement. Yeah, these prophets are going through hard times, but they're getting strengthened by the strength from God. So we can't look at their life. We need to not look at the messenger and look at the message. And yes, God does want all of us to be prophets. He wants to be able to speak to each one of us. He And if he did, he wouldn't have had to send these prophets. If people were listening to him, and everyone was prophesying, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, which is going to be how God's kingdom is. He's not going to have to have these prophets that have to do these extraordinary things. So I just want to point that out because, like I said, this is the second time that the lesson study author has just pointed to the actual prophet and said, look how they're suffering and everything. And I think we're really missing the point. The, the Bible doesn't describe how much or how little these people are suffering because it's, that's not what's important. What's important is the message, the message from God. And the message in this case was, you guys have not been following me and you're going to go into captivity, just as I said, and you're not to mourn over this. You're not to cry out because it's not going to do any good. You brought this on yourself and it's for your own good. And you're going to know when it comes to pass that I said it and it's happening and you're going to be at that time silent. And I think worshiping God, hopefully that's going to be the, the outcome. I think he, God wants to do this so that he can get as many people to follow him as possible. And when these people were going astray, they were leading a lot of people to not understand God. And he puts them into captivity, and then he draws them out. Okay, so that's what I'm going to say about Ezekiel. I guess that wasn't too brief. But just in conclusion, so I think we can see that weakness is not meekness. Meekness is a characteristic of God. It's actually strength. It's being able to have it's he's similar to humility but there's more i think of a worship element and more of a trust element in this meekness it's submission to god it's acceptance of the position that he gave gives us and it's not fretting over these positions it's it's letting god choose a position you know i think of that story in matthew 20 when the mother of zebedee's sons came to him and comes to Jesus with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, 
What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right hand and the other at your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, We are able. And so he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But then Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. To me, this is a really good example of meekness. And the opposite. So the mother of Zebedee's sons is saying, you know, exalt them. They, they're going to be at your right hand or your left. And, and Jesus is saying, no, God sets the position. We don't set the position. And then all the disciples were upset because then now they're thinking, well, they're gonna, they want to be higher than us. And so they were all upset too. And so Jesus has to go to them and say, Let, let's not go there. Let's not do this. This is not how God's kingdom works. The first is last. The last is first. And the leaders are actually like the servants. And so I think if we keep that in mind, that will help us understand what meekness is and it'll understand what we should be doing and what, how we should be acting and reacting and why. Why are we doing it? Because in the end, God's going to make everything right. There's no sense in it, in us fretting over the wicked and maybe some good that they're getting and the bad that is happening to the, to the people that are following God because we know that this life is unfair and it's not going to be fair here. So we shouldn't fret about that. It's going to be made right. And the other thing that is really important for us to acknowledge our position, that we are God's creatures. We are not God. God is so far above us, and we need to be submitting to him. And we do that by demonstrating our role here. You know, if you're a husband, you act like a husband. If you're a wife, you act like a wife. If you're a manager or you're a worker, whatever you're doing, whatever your role is, whatever responsibilities you have, that we should be doing those responsibilities to the best of our ability and not worry about position or rank or anything like that because it doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. And it can distract us. It can distract us from serving God. So let's all do our role and do it to the best of our ability and let God put us in the positions that he has. He blesses us so much. Okay, well, until next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now. <laughs>